The virtual Democratic National Convention is off to the races, and who better than Michelle Obama to make one of the keynote speeches to start off day one? Getting rave reviews, but was it really that good? And was it really true? Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury from National Preview Online. Please follow us on your Apple Podcast app. You can get us in the iTunes store at NP Online. You can go to our website, nationalpreviewonline.com, and you can, by all means, follow our Facebook page, nationalpreviewonlinefacebook.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, although we're getting away from that, but on the newly uh, invented app, Parler, which is a conservative version of Twitter, you can certainly follow us there, and please do so. Well, everyone is talking about Michelle Obama's speech. It's kind of tough to give a spellbinding speech when you're doing it on a video camera with no audience, but they put a lot of red meat in there for people. But before we get to that, we have some breaking news. It was just brought to my attention, having watched some newscasts before the show, that Joe Biden, you remember him, the fellow that's running for president? I know you probably haven't remembered him lately because you haven't seen him come out of the basement. But in any case, the Ukrainian courts have remembered him. And what was previously listed as a person unnamed has now been named. Joe Biden is listed in a criminal case in Ukrainian court investigating the firing of the former Ukraine prosecutor general, Viktor Shokin. Shokin had called for an investigation into his firing after... Joe Biden, who admitted this, and he's admitted it on TV, which shows you he's not all there, because only a fool would admit this. Shokin was the one that was investigating uh, Joe Biden's son for his role in Burisma, because they had some very, very unseemly business dealings. Uh, And when Joe Biden found out that his son was being investigated and was in danger of being prosecuted, uh, he did what any father would do. He threatened somebody. So what he did was he was on a mission in Ukraine for the Obama administration, and he was supposedly there to deliver a a billion dollars in aid. And he said, unless that prosecutor is fired, you're not getting your billion dollars. And if you think I'm just talking, you can call Obama himself and he'll tell you the same thing. So they basically withheld money, something they accused Donald Trump of doing, which he never did. But here, Biden is admitting it. They withheld a billion dollars in in financial aid to a company, to a country, all for personal gain, to protect Joe Biden's son from being prosecuted in the Ukraine. That's about as corrupt as it gets. We'll have more on this developing story as it becomes available to us. But for the time being, let's talk about the lovely Michelle Mybell Obama. Now, first of all, I've got to tell you something. Listening to this woman for 18 minutes is bad enough. I could barely stomach it. I got to about halfway through and I just couldn't listen to it anymore. But I had more than enough ammunition. What she said up until that point was more than enough. But having to look at her is something else. Look, I don't care. I judge a person by their character. But this portrayal of her by the media and the people on the left of some elegant, beautiful woman. you got to be kidding me. She's one of the ugliest women I've ever laid eyes on. And yet, because of the, the liberal cabal we have in the media, virtually every fashion magazine had her on the cover, trying to make her out to be some sort of 
gorgeous creature. Meanwhile, we have a supermodel as first lady in the White House now, and not a major uh, fashion magazine want, wants to put this beautiful, truly beautiful woman on the cover. But I guess that's for another podcast. But let's get to the substance of what Michelle Mybell said. She made a lot of statements, and they all sounded very dramatic, and I'm sure they fell well upon the ears of um, her constituency, but they weren't true. First, she says she loves the country. I love this country. Well, let's examine that. Does she love the country? Well, it's hard to say yes. We know she doesn't love the country because on the, camp on the campaign trail in 2008, when her husband was running for the first time, we have Michelle on tape saying, this is the first time I've ever been truly proud of my country. I think that most people uh, who love their country can at some times be ashamed of it when it goes in the wrong direction, uh, and at other times be very proud of it. But if you've lived your whole adult life and you've never been proud of your country until your husband ran for president, I would say you'd, you can't love your country because you lived your whole life and you were ashamed of it. So it's very difficult to love something you're ashamed of. Then she talks about the presidency itself. She said the job is hard, requires mastery of complex issues, knowledge of history, devotion to duty. Well, he didn't have much of a knowledge of history. He reinvented it as he went along. He wasn't a master of complex issues. Devotion to duty, the guy spent more time playing golf than anything else. She said that a president's words can move markets. Well, that's true, because Obama's words moved the markets right into the sewer. It moved uh, jobs into the sewer. And you can't fake it, she said. Well, he did a pretty good job of faking it. Now, let's talk a little bit about Mr. O. They're trying to retroactively talk about the great economy that he had and how Trump inherited this great economy. Well, I'm sorry. He didn't inherit any such thing. The Obama administration, uh, as measured in real change in gross domestic product, averaged just under 2% from the second quarter of 2009 to the fourth quarter of 2016. Now, this was slower than the average 2.6% growth from the quarter one of 1989, which is when Ronald Reagan left office, to quarter four in 2008, which is the year before Obama took office. So it's kind of hard to say you presided over uh, this great economic recovery when people continue to lose jobs in the first two years into your administration. And when you're president for eight years and you're blaming all of the failures of your eight years... Uh, on your predecessor and saying things are just going to get better right after I leave and it's all going to be the result of something I did while I was there, that, that's kind of gratuitous to, to suggest something like that. But that's exactly what these revisionists of history are suggesting. Great job creation. There was no job creation. You can find numerous campaign speeches uh, where Obama was out on the trail saying your jobs are not coming back. Your jobs aren't coming back. You're going to have to learn to do something else. going to have to have more education. And then when he was stumping for Hillary Clinton, he was very fond of criticizing Donald Trump when Donald Trump said he was going to bring some of these jobs back. He says, how are you going to bring those jobs back? What's he going to do, wave a magic wand? Well, he must have a magic wand 
Mr. President, because he did bring those jobs back. He brought them back in droves, jobs that you specifically told people were never coming back. So when it comes to telling the truth, it looks like the president, the current president, the president, is a lot more accurate than you are. I mean, the, the ex exaggerations, the distortions were so rampant. Blaming Donald Trump for children not being able to go back to school? It isn't Donald Trump who doesn't want people to go back to school. I said this last week. It's the Democratic Party who doesn't want people to go back to school. It is the Democratic governors in these blue states that don't want people to go back to school. They're the ones that are hemming and whoring. Only now are some of them beginning to realize they better do something because the economy is going right down the tubes in these states. You have the governor of New York reduced to begging rich people to come back. You have California now contemplating a bill which would allow them to tax people who leave and move out of the state of California for 10 years after they've left. There's no way that will hold up in court. But this is how desperate they are to prevent the mass exodus from these, these blighted states that they've created through their short-sighted policies. Now, if that isn't trying to enslave someone by financially enslaving them, telling them they're, they're indentured servitude, taxation for 10 years after they've left residence from the state, that, that's got to be about as unconstitutional as it, as it comes. has to have something to do with the interstate commerce clause. If you're preventing somebody from moving because business dictates that they should move, uh, you're interfering with interstate commerce and people's right and ability to move freely. Can't do that. Can't hold a financial gun to people's heads. But that's what they're contemplating doing. So it's these blue states that don't want people to go back to school. Donald Trump is the reason people have lost their jobs? No, it's not. It's these blue states that have locked people down and forbid them from working. That's caused people to lose their jobs. Can't get a meal indoors in the city of New York. And they want this. They want this for one purpose, to defeat Donald Trump. And they think it serves them on several scores. They think it serves them because they're able to wreck the economy and try and hope that people blame him for it. And they instill a level of fear, telling people this is why they have to vote by mail. And the only reason why they want to vote by mail is because it facilitates fraud. And really, think about it, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on, just for a second, put aside your hatred of Donald Trump, if you can, and just try and look at it from a normal, contemplative viewpoint. Even if you're living in a state like California, even if you're living in a liberal state like New York, or Massachusetts, or Michigan, or Minnesota, aren't you shopping in the grocery store? Aren't there lines in the grocery store? Don't people touch things on the shelves in grocery stores and put them back? Things that you then pick up? Is everybody shopping in the grocery store wearing rubber gloves? Do you go shopping in Walmart? Doesn't your state allow you to go shopping in Walmart? Do many of your states allow you to go out and eat? In restaurants? My point is, it isn't hard to see that your states that are currently exhorting people to vote by mail are allowing conduct 
that much more readily offers the opportunity to transfer a contagion or a disease than voting. When you go and vote, you don't touch anything except a disposable ballot. Or maybe you just touch a machine which has been disinfected before you go in there. You can wear a rubber glove. You can wear a rubber glove. You can do any one of a number of things. But these things just don't take place. This is all done to foster what's going on with the election. So we've got Michelle Maybell rolled out, telling a whole bunch of lies, everybody giving her a, uh, a pass on it, except for Britt Hume of Fox News. We have Joe Biden under, uh, looks like under criminal investigation for his role in the scandal, the man at the top of the ticket. And last but not least, we have the great Kamala Harris, the first African-American Jamaican slave-owning family woman nominated to a major ticket, not mentioned once by Michelle Maybell Obama. And let's, let's face it, if you should have recorded it in advance, they could have gone back in, made a quick one-minute adjustment, and they could have said it. There's something going on there. We're going to investigate it. We'll be back tomorrow. Please join us again tomorrow for another National Preview Online podcast. For NPO Online, I'm Jamie Dury.